Hello everyone, welcome to First Reading, the Old Testament lectionary podcast for preachers, teachers, and all lovers of the Hebrew Scriptures. I'm Tim McNinch. And I'm Rachel Wren. Now we're going to throw a little bit of a, a wrench at you because this isn't actually the text for Sunday, January 5th. I mean, Isaiah 60, 1 through 6, should be read as often and as loudly as you can because it's a gorgeous <laughs> text. But it's not actually a sign for that Sunday, right, Tim? Yeah, totally. Epiphany falls on Monday this year, and since most of the churches that I know don't hold special Epiphany services on Monday, I think it's totally appropriate to pull this Isaiah 60 text forward a day and preach it on Sunday the 5th. So you're going rogue on us. Is that what you're saying, Tim? Any chance I get. (laughs) Fair enough. So that makes this a special Epiphany edition of the First Reading Podcast. Um, And I really do mean it. This is one of my all-time favorite texts. Um, When I was a camp counselor, we had a camp song that was this put to a round, which was just one of my favorite songs. Um, And this Isaiah 60 text is like the classic epiphany passage. Um, It also specifically mentions the bringing of gold and frankincense in verse 6. So you not only have the arise shine, the light imagery, but that seems like a pretty straight line to Matthew's gospel and the Magi, right? Well, yeah, there's definitely a, a line of connection there between this text and Matthew. But I'm going to encourage us to be kind of careful about making that line too straight because uh, as is our want, we like to encourage folks to uh, take a look at texts in their own context before we make these sorts of connections between the Old Testament and New Testament, which just seems like a good practice. Fair enough. Okay, well, how about you give us a little bit of the historical and literary context for what the reading actually is doing? Sure. So uh, this comes in Isaiah 60 as what we've talked about in the past as being uh, second or possibly third Isaiah. Scholars kind of differ on whether there is a third Isaiah with the last 10 chapters of Isaiah or so. But in, in either case, this is coming from a historical context of taking a look at the return from Babylonian exile under the under the Persian Empire, Cyrus the Great permitted uh, some of the exiles to return from Babylon and Persia back to uh, to Judah, and so this is either looking ahead to that or perhaps is coming right on the heels of that, and so you have a, a historical context of this return from exile, and uh, amid all of the the sort of hopes and expectations. This passage is looking at the possibility that maybe things weren't as wonderful as people had hoped on the front end, kind of coming back from exile. So looking at the question of how do we think about what do we do when those hopes for all of the glorious things that were promised, just looking a little different than we expected. Mm, It's like when you finally get the uh, pastor you've been hoping for and they start changing things too much. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yes. So this excerpt that we have for the the reading on Epiphany is part of a whole poem that is the the whole of chapter 60 in Isaiah. And all of it is addressed to, uh, not to Jesus necessarily, but to a personified Zion. That is uh, Jerusalem itself as uh, a sort of like a distressed mourning woman. And so this section of the poem which we're reading here, verses 1 through 6, actually kind of continues through verse 7, uh, which describes the people bringing uh, not only themselves, 
but people coming from all over and bringing their flocks and animals for sacrifice. This this part of the poem kind of has a literary context of sacrifice and of worship hmm. and of the beautification of the Holy Temple in Jerusalem. So it's not just about sort of the um, the return or the political experience of it uh, or of the sort of bringing of nations to Jerusalem, but it's it's got this worship center to it as well that is pretty relevant to what we want to do with it. Mm -hmm. So it's like a candy, but instead of a caramel center, it's got a worship center. Is that what you're telling me? Those are my favorite kind. <laughs> Spoken like a true pastor. Uh, all right. How about the Hebrew? Is there stuff going on in the Hebrew that would make this text particularly preachable? Yeah, there are a few kind of interesting Hebrew tidbits here. One thing that you wouldn't notice right away in English is that the the commands that begin this rise, shine, kumi, ori, uh, those are feminine singular imperatives, uh, meaning Jerusalem here. And that continues not only in these commands, but all through the whole poem. So every time that, that we see the word you or your, that's always uh, a feminine singular form. So that, that's kind of interesting to see how that use of the personification of Jerusalem kind of flows through this whole poem. So every time you hear the, the prophet saying, you this or you that, uh, we know who that's directed to. Mm, nice. Another key word that's in this, uh, that kind of runs through this text is the term kavod, the glory. Uh, the glory of God is, is risen upon you. Uh, the, the term kavod is one that has probably come up in our podcast before. It's a, kind of a weighty term in uh, all of the Hebrew that, Bible. That's that weighty. Yeah, yeah I see what yeah. you did there. Yeah, I grab a pun whenever I can. So yeah, the term, <laughs> the term means something like weighty or, or heavy. Um, the, the glory of God is, is sort of like the invisible presence of God sort of manifest in a way that is tangible. It's got some heft to it. Um, it can be perceived or experienced. Sometimes the word has sort of the connotation of brightness or a, a glowing quality to it as well. And in this case, the the kavod of God is associated with light. And the kind of like the rising of the sun, we have the rising of the kavod of God. Mm -hmm. And so there's this sense of... Um, the the presence of God, the glory of God being like a light source for the people. I, I think that's so interesting because the word can mean weighty and yet here it's associated with light. So how would you play with that idea of like weighty light or, or heavy, you know, it's like visual something which also carries heft to it too. It can be tricky to play with these sort of mixed metaphors like that. But uh, I would say that Something that's helped me as I've thought about this term over the years is the connection in English between the word glory and the English word glare. Oh, there's nice. This, there's this sense of um, a kind of light that has a physical impact on you. Nice. That's great. So when you, when you encounter glory, it's this glare that just you can't help but react to it. And that fits nice. with the way that it's used in this text because it's said to rise. Uh, the Hebrew there is zarach. And it's, that's usually the term that's used for the rising of the sun. 
Mm. You could translate it dawn. The glory of God is dawning among you. So God is revealing truth in this in this poem, like the like the dawning of the sun brings clarity after an overcast, starless, deeply dark night. And in fact, uh, later on in the poem, not in the section that we're reading here, but in verses 19 and 20, well, I'll, I'll just read them in, in NRSV. It says, The sun shall no longer be your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give light to you by night. But the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall no more go down, or your moon withdraw itself, for the Lord will be your everlasting light and your days of mourning shall be ended. So this is a running theme in the, in the poem of the presence of God being an, an enlightening force, an enlightening power in the midst of the people. Sweet. So what about uh, preaching pitfalls and sermon angles? Yeah, so uh, we do want to uh, make people aware of areas where they could get themselves painted into an exegetical corner. And uh, so one, one that I thought of here that we talked about right at the, right at the opening, of course, Matthew in, in the Epiphany text in Matthew, uh, Matthew's making an, an explicit connection to this Isaiah text by talking about the Magi who bring gifts to the baby Jesus of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Uh, and the temptation there is to uh, sort of default to the prediction fulfillment scheme of interpreting this text where we say, look, Isaiah said this, and in Matthew, there it is fulfilled, and sort of leave it at that. But uh, as we've been trying to do, even through the Advent season, uh, with these Isaiah texts, we want to encourage you to push yourself beyond that kind of a prediction fulfillment scheme, and really ask yourself, what was it that Matthew saw, the author of Matthew, saw in this text, in Isaiah, that so resonated with what he thought about the the revelation of Jesus, that it was worth making a literary connection like that by referencing the the gold and the frankincense to sort of uh, awaken in people's ears this old old story, <laughs> this old mm-hmm. text from Isaiah. So um, that will get you into much more profound material than just simply saying, you know, here's an old text that predicted Jesus, and then this happened and. There you go. So, so that's, that's one pitfall that I'd point out. Um, another one that is a little bit context-dependent, uh, but this is important to me. For a while, I was uh, serving in a church that had a, a nice contingent of members who were blind. And so that really made me uh, cognizant when we would sing hymns or preach texts that had a lot of visual imagery in them, visual metaphors. And this is one of those where there's a lot here about light and look, look, you know, lift up your eyes and look around and, and see things from a different perspective. I always want to be cautious about that. And so I just pass that on to those of you out there who are preaching. Uh, just a reminder to know your congregation. And uh, when there are sensory images in the Hebrew scriptures, have the the issue of disability be something that you're thinking about so that you can uh, help 
everybody in your congregation have access to what's going on in the text. So if, if you happen to have some folks who are blind in your congregation, then there might be other ways to talk about these epiphanies in Isaiah other than or in addition to cited metaphors. So when, when talking about the, the, the dawning of God's glory, it might not be like the, the glare off of something that, that you see in your eyes as much as the way that the first rays of dawn, you feel that warmth on your skin after a cold night or um, fresh morning breeze after a stagnant and still stuffy night, that kind of thing. You can help people translate these metaphors in ways that can be accessible um, to people of all sorts of different abilities. Yeah, I like what you did there, especially because what you didn't say was, so don't talk about this as a sight metaphor. Um, what I heard you saying was more expand the way you talk about this. So most importantly, like you said, know your context. Yeah, that's right. So uh, as, as far as a preaching angle, here's kind of where how I would set up a sermon on this text, this beautiful arise and shine for your light has come text. So thinking about it in terms of epiphany, I'm always struck when I read Matthew's epiphany story by the, by the contrast between the rustic manger scene and this sort of out-of-place grandeur of these foreign dignitaries bringing these weird, valuable gifts to the infant Jesus. And I always feel like what, part of what Matthew's doing there is giving the reader hints that there's much more to this humble baby than meets the eye. And I think um, in making this reference to gold and frankincense, Matthew's looking back to this very encouragement from the prophet that even though things may look humble after a return from exile, may, may look disarrayed, things may be broken down and sad, that when God's light dawns, Everything changes. The whole picture changes. And what has been um, hidden or imperceptible before will be revealed. And that's the, the sort of the epiphany moment in this text is I think the way that, that God's light enables us to perceive what seems hidden at first, at first glance. So there's a call here to, to perceive the world differently, to uh, use a different set of eyes and by extension, to be that glowing presence of God in the world ourselves, to illuminate the unseen reality as God's light shines through us. So that's, that's the start of where I would head with a sermon on this text. Yeah, I could really see a good, productive sermon out of that. When I, when I think of the people who, who have somehow grasped or been grasped by some piece of this whole Christian tradition, like generosity like they they just kind of are imbued with a spirit of generosity or of compassion or something like that they there is that sense of glowing and so mm-hmm. i think i think this idea of of god's light sh- rising up in us um in that way that's what i think of is is those people who who seem to embody that for me so that could be a a sermon illustration perhaps too of of inviting us to think of those people as well 
Well, that brings us to the end of this week's episode. I think that's a a wonderful, bright way to stop. Um, Thanks, Tim, for your insights and for all your work you did on this. Sure, no problem. So whatever you do, folks, do not go to iTunes and subscribe to First Reading. Don't go to our website and check out what you can see there. I'm trying to use reverse psychology on my children right now. Maybe it'll work on this audience as well. (laughs) No, but seriously, if you found this a helpful resource um, and one that you think more people would benefit from, uh, please do subscribe. uh, Give us a review or um, shout out on Facebook or your favorite social media. Um, We'd love to spread the word about this podcast in 2020 and get more people feeling really comfortable preaching from the Hebrew scriptures. So until next week, I'm Rachel Wren. And I'm Tim McNinch. Thanks for listening, everyone, and have a happy epiphany.